This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. The Holy Spirit continues to set hearts on fire with the love of Christ and inspire people to bring the good news to a world that is aching to hear it. Welcome to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. Now, here's your guide on this grand adventure, Catholic singer, songwriter, author, and speaker, Miriam Marston. And welcome back to Blazing the Trail here on Mater Dei Radio. I'm your host, Miriam Marston, and I'm so glad you're tuning in as once again, we'll take this time to look more closely at what it means to be a missionary disciple, someone who is a proclaimer of the good news and a witness of God's love in today's world. And this week, I head over to Milwaukee, Oregon to speak with Monsignor John Sayak, who serves as the pastor at Christ the King Parish. You'll hear my guest mention a few times how the Catholic faith was simply the environment he grew up in. And while there certainly would be a journey of vocational and discernment ahead of him, even at a young age, he already had the understanding that God, in his great love, had a plan for his life. But as he was describing those early years, one line in particular caught my attention. He said that growing up, his parents lived their lives as though Jesus Christ was real. And I loved the simplicity and the sincerity of that observation. And it serves as a very powerful examination of conscience. That is, if I were to look at my own life, could the people around me get that sense that I believe Jesus is truly real and a real presence in my life? And in that same spirit, I really appreciate Monsignor Sayak's point about how we can risk approaching evangelization as something like a long list of tasks I have to get to. But evangelizing doesn't necessarily start with what we do, but rather who we are in Christ. And this connects back to his point about living as if Jesus is real. You know, of course, Christians do many of the same things that anyone else is doing. Going to the grocery store, running errands, picking kids up at school, getting your lunch out of the refrigerator at work. Disciples of Christ do all of these things, but their Christian identity ideally should be reflected in these daily actions. So if we go to retrieve our lunch from the fridge in the work cafeteria and realize someone has mistakenly eaten our lunch, well, that's a chance to respond with mercy. Or when we pick up the kids from school and ask how their day went, just having that moment to be grateful for catching a glimpse of the wonders of God's creation through the eyes of an eight-year-old who spent the morning learning about planets and stars. This is life in the context of knowing that God is real. The day I recorded this interview, I was with a friend at dinner, and we got on the topic of faith in Jesus, and as we got up to leave, the woman who was cleaning up the table said to us, it's always good to hear people talk about the Lord. And I didn't realize she had heard parts of our conversation, but really, I couldn't agree with her more. It really is always good to hear people talk about the Lord and to hear about what He's doing, who He's healing, because we have to remember, as Monsignor Syak will say in our conversation, the Lord makes stuff happen, and not just for other people, but for you. So please enjoy my conversation with Monsignor Syak, and as always, stay tuned for a brief reflection after the interview. 
It's wonderful to be joined today by Monsignor John Sayek, who serves as pastor of Christ the King Parish in Milwaukee, Oregon. Monsignor, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing great, Miriam. It's great to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Oh, well, thanks so much for coming on and taking the time to be with us today. So, Monsignor, share with us, how did you yourself experience evangelization in your own walk of faith? How was the love of Christ and the beauty of the gospel first shared with you? And then uh, tell us, where did it go from there? Yeah, so I, I would have to say that, you know, evangelization, sometimes we're thinking of these programs or uh, something that's going on in the parish. But in my own case, it really came from my family, from my parents at home. Yeah. That's where I first learned that God was real, that uh, the Lord loves me and that he's got a plan for my life and that um, that I'm here for a reason and, and to, you know, I need, need to, need to, need to find him. And, and as, as I think about it too, is, is really the example of my parents. So my dad, my dad was a seminarian for one year mm. and discerned out. And a few years later, I met my mom. My mom's a convert uh, from Episcopalianism. And uh, they just had, uh, they, they love each other. They're still God. Uh, thanks be to God. They're, they're alive and healthy and whatnot, but they, they love each other very much. They have a very good marriage and, and they um, uh, they just in a very kind of natural sort of way, just kind of lived their lives as if Jesus Christ was real. Yeah. And and so so like when I think about growing up is, is uh, you know, and I always remember like next to my parents bed, there was always like a, a spiritual book, you know, that they would read. Uh, they they would read to us when we were little uh, lives of the saints uh, Bible stories and things like that. We pray the rosary together a lot. You know, maybe it wasn't every day, but but a lot of days uh, we would uh, do that. And then the, and it was in a, a context of just a lot of love and a lot of uh, of uh, tender love and encouragement. And um, so it was a uh, it. Uh, it I guess I would say I'd come to know Jesus in just kind of a very natural sort of way is that he just, there he was, as long as, long as I was conscious, you know, consciously aware that, that I, I was aware that Jesus was alive and real. And, um, and so I think, I think that's, that's where evangelization happened because we, as you, as we know that it, that it doesn't happen in a vacuum it's through relationships. And, and I think sometimes we can get kind of uh, overwhelmed with, evangelization we think like oh man i gotta go do this and that but it really is simply um living your own walk of faith with some authenticity and um uh, and and love and it, the lord makes stuff happen you know and whatever relationships so, so in, a, in a family not quite naturally the children would be you know, in, involved in that. And so the Lord was, you know, he was a topic of conversation. Sure. Um, you know, going to mass was just absolutely non-negotiable. Like right. you, didn't, you didn't even ask, you know, you didn't, you know, like, and, uh, um, so, uh, so I, I think that's, that's where, that's where evangelization began for me. And, and I remember even as a kid, uh, you know, having like a, one of my buddies over, you know, we'd be like six or seven years old. And I remember like, pulling out my children's Bible and like showing him like, here's, you know, here's Jesus. Here's, you know, and the, the kid's like, what? That's God. You know, it was like, and, and I would, and I just think like, I didn't even think twice about it, like, Oh, I'm going to do some evangelization, which is like, no, I'm going to share this 
my buddy doesn't know who Jesus is. So I'm just going to tell him about him and, and, right. you know, and, and um, so, so, you know, I think, I think that's, it's important that we uh, approach this so naturally, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's, there's that, there's that basic uh, scholastic axiom that grace builds upon nature. Mm-hmm. So if we just look on our, at the natural relationships that we have around us, um, that's usually the, the, some real open avenues for, um, witnessing and, and, and in friendship and authenticity of witnessing to Christ. Yeah. Oh, that's, uh, oh, that's so beautiful. Uh, Monsignor, where did you grow up? I grew up in Corvallis. Okay. So I'm a mid Valley boy. Um, and, and we, our family's originally from San Diego, but we moved up there when I was a kid. And so I did most of my growing up years there and actually outside of, of Corvallis on the way to Philomath, if people in that area know what it, that is, it's kind of <laughs> so we were out, outside of Corvallis. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's where I grew up and, and, um, had, um, bro, you know, my, 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 I grew up with two brothers that were very close in age to me and the rest of the family kind of came a little bit later. Uh, But, uh, but even today, my brothers, you know, we all think at one time we're thinking of the priesthood and they're, they, they remain, you know, very, uh, uh, you know, good Catholic men raising families and all that. Yeah. That's uh, you anticipate my question there because I was going to ask in this same context, is that where the seeds of the priestly vocation were planted then? Absolutely. Yeah. If I, as I look back, I mean, I wasn't aware at the time right, of course. and I didn't really want to be a priest when I was a kid. So <laughs> it, it was kind of a, a strange sort of thing is that I, I, I grew up knowing the Lord, but I didn't really, the idea of priesthood was like, mm. that was for somebody else, you know, yeah. I'm going to be a doctor, I'm going to have a family, I'm going to, you know, uh, do all those things. But it was, but it was my parents, again, my parents, uh, especially my, my dad was, would, would say that to all the, all the boys, like, you know, we want, you know, your mom and I will want you to, will support whatever your vocation is, but, you know, you need to ask the question, you know, like you need to, we're happy to support you, but you need to, you need to think about it. And, mm-hmm. and uh, it was, it was, it was, it wasn't until high school and like later in high school, uh, actually as a senior in high school, when I got the first inkling of being a priest mm-hmm. uh, and then kind of took off from there in college. But, but it, again, it kind of came out of that, there's that natural life of faith of growing up in this family. Right. Right. Something just, uh, yeah. Organic. And it sounds like it was with faith being so integrated into the life of a family too. I think that's, that's so key. Um, it's just, it's part of who we are. So, and yeah, it didn't, it didn't, uh, you know, they, they, my, my parents could just kind of lived it. So it wasn't like an imposition. It wasn't like they're, mm-hmm. they're, you know, uh, you know, kind of forcing us into this sort of thing. It was just kind of like, no, this is, this is reality. This is who we are. This is how we live. Uh, and, the, the, and this is the truth. Yeah. And, it, okay. and, and when it's done in a way where, where in, in relationships of love, yeah. well, then that, then that makes the truth compelling. Absolutely. Well, it's <laughs> our faith is all about a relationship of love with, with God. So, I mean, it would just make sense then that it's reflected 
in those relationships that are all around us. So oh, it's that's beautiful. For those who are just tuning in, I'm speaking with Monsignor John Syak, who is the pastor of Christ the King Parish in Milwaukee, Oregon. Monsignor, how long have you been at Christ the King now? I am in year number four. Okay. All right. And I know you spent some time in Rome as well. Is that correct? Yeah. As, yeah, a, yeah. as a priest, I've had some very... Uh, uh, I've had kind of a strange itinerary in, in terms of assignments. Yeah. So b- before I was at Christ the King, I, I spent uh, nine years in at the Vatican, yeah. working at the Congregation for Bishops and as a papal master of ceremonies. Uh, and then before that, I was a pastor of Jervis, Oregon, little mm-hmm. Jervis. Uh, and and I, that's, I was also teaching at Mount Angel Seminary at that time. And um, and before that, I was in doctoral studies for getting my doctorate in theology. And then yeah. before that, I was in uh, I was full time at Mount Angel on their on their um, formation faculty and teaching faculty. Okay, uh, so definitely some interesting assignments there, and probably a whole range of different responsibilities that came with it. And and I'm curious since you've you've kind of seen you've seen the church from these different angles, and you've experienced your priesthood kind of in these different ways. I just, I want to ask you, where have you really seen signs of hope in the work of the Holy Spirit, um, sort of in your, in your ministry, in all these different places? Yeah, uh, I would say like, wherever I've been, you see, like even at the highest levels of the church of the Vatican, I fa- I've found holy people. Yeah. Like there are all sorts of holy people in the church. We don't often hear about them because they're holy people tend to be humble and you know, they, they're not seeking the limelight sure. uh, and they're not, you know, necessarily celebrities of that we all know about, but, yeah. but I, I, I um, have worked with some very, um, very faith filled, good people who yeah. are pouring out their lives for the good of the church. You know, that some of them are Cardinals, some of them are bishops, some of them are just classified staff working in the Vatican. Right. You know, right. That, um, uh, another place that, that always fed my soul, especially when I was over in Rome is, is I, I worked a lot with uh, the missionaries of charity. So mother yeah. Teresa's sisters and, and I was chaplain to the house that was a women's shelter that that's right there and and the Vatican, um, and you know of of uh, tending to those sisters who then tend to the to the women who are right off the street of Rome, uh, and Ro- the streets of Rome are not very good, yeah. um, and and to see that they're just. Um, you know, and then, and of course, then maybe on the, on the macro level, you know, of go, being able to travel with the Holy Father. So yeah. on some of these trips, I was able to go on um, to Korea and to Sri Lanka and to um, the United States right. uh, and, and then to Miramar and Bangladesh, just all these places of the world that, uh, and the people that would come out to see the Holy Father and to, mm-hmm. you know, that um, is just, a, just amazing. Yeah, really that, that really must be a powerful sign of hope to see it all over the world too. Yeah. Um, and to, so to bring it a little closer to home, uh, looking to your own parish, um, how are you working to, you know, again, we're, we talk a lot about evangelization on the show. So what does that look like at Christ the King? What are you doing these days to kind of be really intentional about carrying out the mission of evangelization? Yeah, well, um, I would say, you know, the, 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 of course, the source and summit of, of the Christian life is the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. So our, 
are we, we, we intentionally try to be what's called a Eucharistic parish, okay. which means that, that we're focused on G- Jesus Christ truly present in the blessed sacrament. So it's not, a, it's not up to the, to the personality of a pastor or mm-hmm. the particular disposition of a community, a parish community. It's like, no, we're all looking at Jesus Mm-hmm. And he's the he's the reason why we're here mm-hmm. and he animates everything and directs everything. And so to try to make the Eucharist the real center and source of of our life here at, at the parish. And and along with that, you, we know that any authentic evangelization in the church has always been through the litur- sacred liturgy. Yeah. So so we we strive uh, to, to have a, a real, um, you know, the mind and heart of the church. You know, especially, you know, being here, uh, a parish of, of, of Archbishop Sample, you know, with the, with the sacred liturgy so near and dear to his heart that we would exemplify in our parish uh, worship what the, the church's heart and mind on that, whether that's that has to do with the, the way in which we celebrate the, the, the mass, the, the sacred music and all those sorts of things. And it's really interesting now because we this past year i would say we really made the switch over to um sacred music mm-hmm. and we're getting people now that are coming in to the parish of like i i've never heard this music before in worship wow. and i want i'm it's beautiful and i'm it really helps me to pray and i you know i want to be a part of that so so the so the music itself is like drawing them into the encounter with christ so i so i think the 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 sacred liturgy is a big piece of that in the parish and then uh of course our school right the school is always the primary uh work of evangelization in the parish with when you have a school so we're really we've been really working hard on building a robust catholic identity and culture Mm-hmm. Uh, among the, the teachers and, and the and the families, um, even so far as like this last year, we want to make sure we got like everywhere you look in that school now is like there's there's sacred art up, there's images, masterpieces, all that kind of stuff. Every classroom has a crucifix and a holy water font, and um, you know that all those sorts of reminders. Our our religion curriculum, you know, we're using the Spirit of Truth from Sophia Institute. We just this uh, this now we've implemented the rural woods theology of the body mm-hmm. uh, curriculum in the in the school so it's good to, so so that's another uh, another piece as well mm-hmm. um and then we we try to run some some um uh i found two two things is really important for people to come to the encounter with christ mm-hmm. one is helping them how to pray as we know, the prayer is that vital relationship. That's the oxygen of the soul. That's the, you know, how that is the lived relationship of intimacy with Jesus Christ. So to sort of pray, learn how to pray, not only liturgically, but also personally. Um, and, and the, um, uh, and, and there's almost inevitably an aspect of healing that goes on because, you know, we, we know today, especially today, even more than ever, it's like, people are hurting, right? The, the, you know, whether that's come from the, um, just the vicissitudes of, of life in this fallen world and a, and a world that's more godless and therefore m- more violent and more uh, harmful. Yeah. And, um, and so the, the, inevitably I, I found on the one-on-one with, with people in evangelization is there's usually some aspect of healing. And that's 
Mm-hmm. But it's what's really beautiful, especially when you think of the of the work of like Dr. Bob Schutz and Sister Miriam uh, Heidland, and uh, that that when a person experiences healing in Jesus Christ, it's like they're in right there. Cause, cause when that happens, Jesus is so real for them and they, and they can't imagine their life now apart from him because of what he's done in their, in their, in their heart, you know? And, uh, and so that's, we try to, at, at the parish level, trying to facilitate that healing, whether that's through the preaching mm-hmm. um, or in, in the offerings that, that we have. You know, I, I know that as a pastor, too, that preaching, the, especially the Sunday homily, is a big part of evangelization. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's where you get, you know, the, the most undivided attention that you can you can get from people during the week. And so I try to make sure that the, you know, it's not like every homily is, it has to be a home run, but we try to get, you know, if I get enough singles, that still drives in runs, you know? (laughs) Yeah. No, I I love what you say uh, about the importance of healing. And as, as you were speaking, I was, I was connecting back to that, uh, the Eucharistic culture that you're building at the parish and which is so central to, uh, to the Christian life, to the life of the church, to evangelization and, you know, I remember years ago when I was living in Boston, um, there was a parish that began perpetual adoration. And uh, so it was, a, you know, there were a lot of, there was a, a young adult population that was pretty vibrant in downtown Boston. And they noticed uh, an interesting trend that when the hours of adoration picked up, the lines for confession became longer and they actually needed to offer more. And I think something happened that when we come before the Lord, uh, we start to sort of face those areas of our life where we might need more healing because we're kind of looking at ourselves through that very just honest and thank goodness, very merciful lens, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. when Jesus Christ is looking back at us. So um, I don't know if you've ever seen that. I, that struck me when I was in Boston, sort of the connection between um, just Eucharistic adoration and um, the increase in reconciliation. Has that, has that ever kind of come across your, your radar? Oh, it's, it's definitely happened here. Yeah. I mean, since, since arriving, I think I've more than doubled the time that confessions are, and I never have a break. Like, oh I mean, it's, it's, so, so it's, it's one of those things like if you, if you build it, they will come. So it's, yeah. so I, and I, and I think it's kind of a, it's a, it's a snowball effect. So if, mm-hmm. if I only offer half an hour of confessions a week, I'm probably not going to, I'm not even going to fill that half hour. Right. Right. But if I offer an hour and a half, I'm going to have to offer two and a half, you know, or yeah. uh, because people start to, it st- starts to build and, and, and the Lord starts to, stir people's hearts, you know, and, and, uh, uh, I'll often ask that somebody that in confession, if it's been like years and years, I'd be just like, could you tell me why you came in today? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And sometimes it's like, I don't really know. I just, I just had to come, you know, and it's because it, I just know like the Lord has, has been working on their heart and they, they're, they're cooperating with it or there's, you know, I'm just tired of feeling miserable or, yeah. I don't know. I was driving past that. I just something inside of me said, go in there and go to confession, you know? <laughs> um, and so it's um, yeah. And I, and I have a lot of respect for, for a, a guy like St. John Vianney who could hear 16 hours of confessions. Like I would, my, yeah, 
that's, <laughs> that's, that okay. is, that's a long time to sit to, to sit in the in the confessional, but yeah. um, but it really is a, a tremendous work. And you see the Lord working so powerfully in people's lives when when they're start when they start to make confession a part of their Christian life. And mm-hmm. uh, and I tell people too, is like you know we really can't we really can't have any meaningful spiritual progress without confession. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, we can we can read all the spiritual books we want. We can spend a lot of time in prayer, but if I'm not actively engaged with with the sin in my life and 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 the Lord freeing me from that sin, yeah. that I'm I'm not I'm not down to the level that I need to be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When I and you know to circle back then to the environment that you grew up in, and you're talking about the the loving. Re- like relationships that surrounded you. So when we're healed, when we bring that to the Lord and we're free from our sin, we're able to live in right relationship with others, which then becomes a witness to other people as well. So I think it's just a, yeah, it's a beautiful cycle of, of goodness and mercy there. Um, oh, my senior, we're, we're coming to the end of our time together. So I, uh, I just want to thank you for your time today. And I just, I want to ask that God continue to bless you and your priesthood and the good people of your parish. Well, thank you so much, Miriam. It's a, it's, it's great to have to t- talk to you. And, and, uh, I, I just love being the pastor here at Christ the King. Wonderful. I love to hear that. All right. Thanks for all that you do, but God bless you. You too. Monsignor Sayak highlighted the efforts at his parish to really strengthen the Eucharistic culture of the community. He said that the hope is that we're all looking at Jesus, who animates and directs everything. I really loved that image of everyone just keeping their eyes fixed on Jesus. Because the truth is, there really is a lot out there that is trying to take our eyes and our attention off of the Lord. So what a gift then to have the Eucharist, which really puts before us the visible, tangible love of Jesus Christ and keeps us focused on the mission entrusted to each and every one of us to bring that love into the world around us. I want to close with a passage from the end of the Gospel of John, which shows how the disciples recognized Jesus not only in His miraculous power, but also in His desire to simply provide daily bread for the ones He loves. When it was already dawn, Jesus was standing on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He said to them, Children, have you caught anything to eat? They answered him, No. So he said to them, Cast the net over the right side of the boat, and you will find something. So they cast it, and were not able to pull it in because of the number of fish. So the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tucked in his garment, for he was lightly clad, and jumped into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, for they were not far from the shore, only about a hundred yards, dragging the net with the fish. When they climbed out on the shore, they saw a charcoal fire with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you just caught. So Simon Peter went over and dragged the net ashore full of one hundred fifty-three large fish. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come, have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they realized it was the Lord. Jesus came over and took the bread and gave it to them, and in like manner the fish. 
Again, that was from the Gospel of John. And, you know, as we seek to imitate Christ this week and be instruments of His Word and His love, maybe we can recall that evangelization could be as simple as telling someone those three words, come, have breakfast. And then from there, the subject of conversation can move from breakfast food to heavenly food, and the wonders of God can be shared among friends. As always, thanks for tuning in this week. Again, my name is Miriam Marston, and I hope you'll join me next time as we continue to hear stories of how the beauty of the Catholic faith is being shared one heart, one home, one city at a time. Until then, stay well and stay close to Christ. God bless you all. You've been listening to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. For more information on Miriam Marston and her work, plus an archive of our past shows, visit us online at matradayradio.com or download the Hail Mary Media app. Blazing the Trail is produced at the studios of Matraday Radio in Portland, Oregon.